If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Luke, the 15th chapter. We're going to look at three parables this morning in the 15th chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 1 and going down through 31. I won't read all of <clears throat> the whole passage, but I do want to uh, uh, illuminate a little bit. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, the following. Last year on January the 20th, 2017, the Hotel Rigopiano, a five-star hotel in a resort setting in Italy, was buried by an avalanche. On top of the avalanche, they endured earthquake, 5.8 on the Richter scale and a few aftershocks that followed. Two to three days after the avalanche, they began trying to get to the structure. They cleared out debris and bodies along the way. Numerous people died. And they came to that hotel. And everybody was just, you know, it had been a couple of days. You know, they hadn't heard anything from anybody. They just figured, well, it's everybody inside's dead. After working there diligently, they began to pull people out alive. In fact, they pulled 30 people out alive who had been buried for more than two days. And just interesting they all congregated in the kitchen must have been Baptist <laughs> the kitchen walls were stronger than the rest of the hotel and the thing that made it great for them is they had some food to eat uh, though some of them were injured obviously from from the, the crush of the debris and everything but to stop and think that here this whole group had been thought to be lost the cheers and the bravo and the celebration from all of those rescuers, all of those first responders was overwhelming. Unbelievable. 30 live people instead of 30 dead bodies. Now y'all give that some thought. All ages, children, youth, adults. A few years ago, the second most favorite painting by Norman Rockwell of all time uh, called Breaking Home Ties. That's it there. Shows a dad and his son about to go off to college and the favorite dog there. And the, the, the young man's got his little suitcase there. It says State U on it. He's dressed up. You know, I have a hard time identifying with this because I never went off to college in a suit and a tie. Uh, I've had to wear one ever since college, but I've never gone off to college that way. But this painting was sold at Sotheby's for $15.4 million. Now, the thing that makes this painting interesting is that Don Trake, a cartoonist, owned this painting. And this painting, he actually was a good enough artist, he made a copy of this painting and the copy hung in the Norman Rockwell Museum for a number of years as if it, people thought it was the original. But Don Trake had some family problems, he and his wife divorced and for whatever reason he hid the painting behind a wall I want you to stop and think about this. Didn't want to give up all of his wealth, so those of you that have been through divorces, you may need to go look behind your walls. So, <laughs> no. After he passed away, the painting was discovered by his children. Interesting, isn't it? Recovering something that was lost. This painting ranks second behind the number one painting of Rockwell's all time called Saying Grace. Let me show you this one. This is a great painting because it captures a moment of a little lady with most likely her grandson in a crowded cafe 
sang grace at a meal. This appeared in the 1951 cover, November the 24th. The other one appeared in the 54 edition of Post Magazine, September the 25th. Now, this painting sold for $46.3 million in 2013. So, gives you an idea of what Norman Rockwell's paintings are worth. Bruce, maybe there's hope. <laughs> we have several artists here. Uh, Tony... Tony Eubanks here, you know, he's not, he, he paints. So we've got just a whole bunch of Mike Irvin paints in our church. We, we have a bunch of well-known Western artists and good artists in our church. And uh, certainly, Joe, uh, I, I wouldn't want to mention the painters without mentioning Joe Atkinson. If you want to see some of the finest artwork in the world, you go to our children's wing and look at the art that's over there for little children to see and understand because it's, it's great art. Ten years ago, ten years ago, a Boy Scout jamboree was taking place in the rugged mountains of Utah. In that jamboree, a young man by the name of Brennan Hawkins decided he would uh, split with his troop, and he got lost in the mountains. Now, I want y'all to think, think about this. If you've never been lost and you've never been in rugged mountains, I want to tell you it's easy to get lost. And you say, well, how do you know, Brother Jerry? I went in at dark one time on a hunting trip with some dear friends of mine. Didn't know where we were. I did have a compass with me, and the compass is what helped me get out of the mountains. We all divided up at dark in the morning to go bow hunting in uh, north of uh, Albuquerque, close to Los Alamos. And it was my ability to hear cars going along the road following the compass. When I got separated, I kept envisioning myself being on the Albuquerque News that night. Hunter lost in the mountain. You know, that's a terrible thing to envision. That helps inspire you to, to get on and get with the program. This young boy, Brennan Hawkins, was lost for four days. Now I want you to get this. 3,000 volunteers showed up to look for him. I wonder if we've got that many friends. If you were lost, would 3,000 people show up to look for you? After four days, he was found alive in fairly decent health considering that he'd been out in the mountains in the cold all night long for four days without a lot of food. According to our Center for Missing and Exploited Children, hear me, 750 to 800,000 children go missing in the United States every year. You say, well, that sure is a large number. Most 95, 98% are taken by family. There's a divorce. They get mad at one another, and so somebody kidnaps the kids. Grandma, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, mother, father. And those children are most of the time returned to those that are supposed to have custody. That's why you see all the Amber Alerts. I had two this week on my phone. I don't know how many you had. I had two within a 48-hour period. Now, how important would it be for us to find something that we've lost, like a gold pen? Well, it's, it's important to me. It's not important to anybody else. But think of how much more important it would be to find a person who was lost to us, who we hadn't seen, who we'd given up on. Now, think in terms of how it must mean for God and all the angels in heaven when one person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ comes to a saving knowledge of who he is. Here are the texts of Scripture. 
15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, verse 7, there are more rejoicing, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Put it in modern terminology, we don't use the word lost anymore, we don't want to offend people. But people outside the church, people that have no relationship with the Lord, when one of them comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, folks, all of heaven gets excited rather than a church full of people that need no repentance. That's basically what this scripture says. Now, we can't comprehend the importance of a sheep to a shepherd, but I can tell you, having lived in northern New Mexico, we're in the northern mountains of the Sangre de Cristos, Blood of Christ Mountains, ironically. The shepherds literally go and live with the sheep all summer long. And if you go to Middle East or, or England or other parts of the world where they raise sheep, those sheep are valuable to them. And there's places there where they have these enclosures where there's no cover over most of them and no doors. There's an open door, but there's no gate, no door to close. The shepherd literally becomes the door to the sheepfold. That's where Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep. See, we don't doesn't compute with us because that's not a story that we can relate to. Uh, if it was a child, one of our children, that was lost, don't you stop and think about this, don't you think you would do everything humanly possible to find that child? Most certainly. Every one of us here. See, I believe God can help us find something that's lost. I'm not going to begin to go... My wedding ring, I've, I've shared that before. It's been lost about five or six times. Last time I found it in the drain on Waco Drive in the car wash. I went and called it. I was washing. My, my ring slipped off my hand, heard it ching, watched it go right down in the drain. You know, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, it's foolish for me again to do something like this. I'm sorry. Please help me. I called the man that owns the car wash. Can I pull your drain grid off and can I search the drain? There it was in the sand. Sure was glad to get it back. Lost it on golf course at Amplify. Rewalked every route of my, I have really good memory, every shot, even the ones in the rough and back, found it laying on the cart path where it had slipped out of the bottom of my bag. I never wear my rings to play golf. I, that day I got over there, had my rings, put them in the golf bag, went all the way through the balls and the tees and fell out. I mean, I could go on with stories just about my ring. The important thing is, Hear the text of Scripture. When the man found his lost sheep, he called all of his friends together and they celebrated. And then Jesus says, very interestingly, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Parable of a lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is 
rejoicing in heaven in the presence of angels and God over one sinner who repents. That first sheep lost by nibbling away at grass. If you know anything about sheep, they, they get, they're herd animals. But they get separated easy. It's like a lot of young people that go off to college. There's times they follow the herd and it's wrong. There's times they go on their own and they get drawn away. That sheep wandered away somehow, but he was found. The woman with the ten coins, you say, well, that's not very many. In that day and culture, the women's headdresses had ten silver coins on them, linked together by a silver chain. It's possible that this one lost coin was like a wedding ring to us. It's a part of their culture where it was very valuable, more valuable than the amount of the coins on the headdress. And she sweeps the house clean. By the way, she didn't have nice hardwood floors, folks. Most of the floors in that day and time were dirt with mats or carpets on them. And she sweeps until she found that one coin. And the same thing is said again. There's more rejoicing in heaven than the angels in presence of God over one sinner who repents. Now, y'all know the third story because it's been preached on probably more than any other parable that Jesus ever gave. It and the Good Samaritan, maybe. Can you name a person this morning in your life who does not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior? Is there somebody you cross paths with? You either work with them, they're a member of your family, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, mother, father, neighbor, somebody that you and I should be concerned for that need God's love to be shared with them. 2 Peter 1.12 has this passage. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory. That's what I'm doing with you, refreshing your memory this morning. As long as I'm still living, because I know someday I will die. I'm going to use my time that I have left to keep on reminding you of the spiritual truths so that long after I'm gone, you'll remember the significance of them for your lives. That's Smith's translation, 2 Peter 1.12. Once upon a time, there was a father who had two sons. That's what the latter part of this is. Now, I'm going to bring it up to speed to our day and time. Okay? The parable of the prodigal is what it's known by. And I want to share with you there's more than one prodigal in this story. Once upon a time, there was a father who had worked hard, accumulated quite a bit of property and possessions, and he had two sons. And the youngest son, he said, Hey, Dad, I met a girl online on Facebook, and she lives in Paris. And I want all of my inheritance because I want to go to Paris, and I want, I want to. She is a knockout, Dad. You cannot believe. Could you give me my share of the inheritance? Look down at the passage. In verse 7, <coughs> excuse me, in verse uh, 11, latter part, verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate or inheritance. So he divided his property, underline this, between them. A lot of people miss this. Younger son just didn't get all of his money and left. The father divided the property among them together. Both got their share of the estate. Okay? Besides that, the youngest son probably said, I don't want to have to fight my brother over it after you're gone, Dad. Does that ever happen? Unfortunately, it happens every day of the world. 
families being destroyed by fighting over the property that mom or dad or grandma, grandpa left behind. Now, the older brother, just so you know, he'd always had a great deal of responsible put on him. And he, you know, he felt like it, the younger son had always been favored. Does that sound familiar? Any of you older children in here? I am. Have you ever heard, why weren't you looking after your younger brother or younger sister? You're responsible. You're old enough. You should have known better. Have you ever heard those words? And do you think in terms of the younger children in your family? Now, some of y'all are babies of the family. Oh, she always gets what she wants. Dad always shows that they're the baby of the family. They, get, they got a brand new car. I had to use an old one when I started. I mean, do you ever hear those? Am I not talking to the right group? <laughs> oh, that younger brother, he met that girl online through a chat room, and she lived in Europe and France, and he had just turned 19. He had the world by the tail, and he says, man, I'm going for it. And so dad cuts him a check. And he goes down and he, he cashes part of the check and part of it he sends to a bank in France. He's, he's thinking ahead. Got to have some money there. And he drives up to DFW up here and he got tickets to go to Paris one way and he's got his old truck and he cleaned out his room, shotguns, guitars and everything, but he's t I can't take those with me. Takes them by a pawn shop, sells them 10 cents on the dollar. Then he sells his old truck. And then he waves a cab down, and he's never ridden in a cab before because he's from Clifton, you know, and he's never been in a cab, and he didn't realize how expensive cabs are. It costs quite a bit to go from that pawn shop and that car dealership to the DFW airport. It costs him $40 $50 for just a few miles. Now, I'm not ever coming back to Clifton because it's a dead-end street. That's the last words he told his dad. I'm going to go and make my, my fortune in the world. Now, when he was on his own, you ever heard that? I can't wait to be out on my own where I can do what I want to do. A am I not talking to the right group? You know? When he arrived in Paris, he thought she would be there to meet him, but she wasn't. You ever had high expectations? <laughs> Brought down to reality? She wasn't there, but he, that's all right. He'd booked a $250 a night motel, hotel right in downtown Paris. He paid for a week in advance. Do the math. Doesn't take long to go through a fortune like that. And, you know, his dad never let him have a tattoo, and now he's out of way, and he's in Paris, and so he went and got a couple of tattoos. One on this arm said, born to raise hell. You ever seen a tattoo like that? I have. The other one, the other one had a tattoo of the Eiffel Tower and her name underneath the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah. You think this guy wasn't in love? Man, he was so in love. He was eat up with it. And he visited a small club they had talked about, and he ordered a drink, and while he was looking away and something to eat, somebody put something in his drink. And then when he comes to, he's in the back alley. Billfold's gone, passport's gone, all the money he had on him's gone, social security card, driver's license. He didn't have any, and he'd been beat up pretty good. And he stumbles back into the club, and he gets the club owner to make the call for the girl, and she comes and gets him. She picks him up, and she was drop-dead gorgeous, and for long he's forgetting about all of his, the bad time he'd had. He thought, well, that's just part of the deal. <laughs> and she doctored his wounds and allowed him to clean up at her place. She was older than him, 
He then told her that he needed to go to the hotel where he was staying and get a few more things because he did have a little bit of money left there in the hotel. Well, he had to check out the next day of the five-star hotel. You know, uh, you know, she said, well, you need to get some clothes. No wonder they beat you up. You're from Texas, and you weren't wearing what we wear over here. You know, so he goes and gets the, gets the new clothes and everything. And, and before you know it, she says, I've got lots of other places to go party. We'll have a great time. And, you know, next thing you know, he'd taken what little money he had, and they were in a casino gambling. And he was up by 2000 and he's up to 5000 And then, like most gamblers, got greedy, and he lost it all. And the next thing you know, he looked around, and that gorgeous girl was gone. He couldn't find her anywhere. He didn't have any money to air cab or take the subway over to her apartment. He was just flat broke. And he couldn't get a job because his driver's license, passports, everything's gone. And he goes to the bank, and the bank account's been cleaned out because they had all of his information. And he knew if he didn't get some money fast, his life would end up just like the people he saw on the streets there in Paris. And if you've never been to Paris, they have homeless people there just like we do in the United States. In every community, there are homeless people, folks. And out of desperation, he did some very immoral things to help him get some money. He worked as a courier carrying packages from one place to another, and he didn't ask what was in the package. He just took the package and delivered it. And he got paid in a few French francs. And it wasn't long before he was running in fear, and he's given the opportunity to make some really good money, but he'd have to go to Germany at night, and he didn't have a passport, and he's going to carry a package over there. And then when he got there, a guy was going to introduce him to a man who would pay him royally for his services. And I'll leave it with that, which he did. And it was here in an alley behind a bar that he started to wake up from his bit of a nightmare. He had begged for a job cleaning out the bar at night. And the bar owner showed him some grace, allowed him to sleep in the back room on an old cot. And he began to clean up all of the debris from the bar every day. And when he was cleaning the commodes and the vomit and everything around the commode, he thought, you know, this is, this is not what I counted on. And even my dad's employees, and the hired hands he has on the farm back in Clifton in Botsky County, they do better than I'm doing right here. I'm going to go back home. And so he went to the American Embassy, and he told his story. And fortunately, a good American embassy worker took, took his name, contacted the French authorities about the theft of his bank account and so forth and started working on that and got him a, a ride home on an airport transport, transporting soldiers from Afghanistan and Iraq back to the U.S. He landed down here in Colleen, and when he got to Colleen, he, he caught a ride with a soldier going to Gatesville, and at Gatesville, he caught a ride with an old farmer coming to Clifton, and when he got to Clifton, the old farmer told him, Good to have you back home. Everything's going to be all right. Your dad's a good man. And we ended up out here at the farm, not too far from the lime plant out here, folks. His daddy saw him, and he dropped what he was doing, and he ran, and he hugged him, and he loved him, and he cared for him. He, he, he told the workers, go, go pull a side of beef out of the freezer. Get some ribs. We're going to have a barbecue. My son, who has been gone, has returned home.
he was trying to express his his humble repentance toward his dad. I'm sorry, Dad, I did a lot of bad things. That doesn't matter, son. You're home. God's forgiven you. Let's start over. When the older brother came up to the house, this big Ford 250, been out in the field working with all the other workers, trying to get all the winter hay up and ready to go, the brother asked the guy at the barbecue pit, what's going on? We're having a barbecue for your brother. Your little brother? You know, he, the one that went to Paris, he's back home. Uh, it didn't sit well. Remember the text of Scripture? Verse 12, And the father divided the inheritance between both of them. Most people miss that. And the older brother got mad and angry and upset. And he, he started accusing the brother toward the father. The father went out and tried to talk to him and said, Come on in, your, your little brother's home. We, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a celebration. He's returned home. I don't give up. And he was using curse words. And he was upset and angry. And he said, I will not go with him. All this time I've been slaving for you, Father, right here on this farm. I've done everything you've asked. I've done everything you wanted to do. I've been the good son, and this is the way you treat me. You didn't even give me a little kid goat to barbecue with my own friends. And the father looks at him and says, Son, everything I have is yours. It's always been that way. Don't you remember the day I divided the property? You got yours and he got his. Come on in and join us. And he said, I will not. You see, the younger brother was lost by poor choices. He made one bad choice after another, after another, after another. But he repented of his sin. The older brother was lost by indifference and anger and hatred. And I want to tell you, folks, it's a whole lot worse to be lost inwardly than it is to be lost on the outside and repent. Because it's harder to repent inwardly when we're lost, when we hold anger and frustration and all kinds of bitterness inside. Because God, our Father, did not create us to live that way. You, son, you know, son, I didn't know if your younger brother was dead or alive, and he's alive. You've got to come celebrate with us. But the elder brother refused the father's invitation. God's grace, folks, is like that. It isn't whether we like it or not. He gives and shows grace to everyone. His love to those who don't deserve it. And some of us who believe God is some father who always has hoops for us to jump through. We're missing it. God's not like that. God loves us with an everlasting love regardless. So I'll remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth, I will refresh your memory about them as long as I live. Why? Because every one of us here has an opportunity to go and share the love of the Lord Jesus with those that come across our path, particularly if they do not know the Lord. And just so you know, we've lost family members before. I have. Brent and I had a nephew that we took care of for a number of years because he was out with his dad, crossways. And then he disappeared. He was gone for six years. We didn't know, just like the father in the story, we didn't know whether he was dead or alive. And then he shows back up. 
and we had rejoicings and happiness because this relative who had been gone had come back home. And he came back home with a little girl and an older wife. God can work miracles, folks, in people's lives, but do we see it? Do we recognize it? Do we understand it when God's grace is shown to us when we don't deserve it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your love always and your grace and your forgiveness. And I thank you for these three parables. Help each one of us to see that sometimes we're lost by our own foolishness from your presence, from your grace. Even though you're there, we don't recognize your presence. Some of us are lost because of carelessness and just not paying attention. And Father, some of us are lost by poor choices and some by indifference. Would you work in each of our lives regardless of where we are in relationship to you and help us to come home so that all of heaven can celebrate and that we can be united with our families and know your love and your presence and your grace in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Our hymn of invitations, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, I believe that's it. Uh, it's an old hymn, most of you may know it. Would you stand, I'll be here at the front to receive this as a decision you'd like to make.